Welcome to Term 1, Week 1, and this is now Session 2. We are continuing the life of Christ, and we're going to pick up where we left off in Luke chapter 1 and verse 67. And we are now going to see Zechariah's faith and trust in God coming through here. It's going to shine through. And his days of doubt and unbelief are gone forever. Amen. Okay. And it says, now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just like the mother in verse 41. And under the influence of the Spirit prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That is from Satan, sin, and all the consequences. And more importantly, back to a place of favor with God. And has raised up a horn of salvation. Now this horn of salvation is actually a symbol of strength. And in this case, a strong savior. And therefore, a direct reference to the soon coming Messiah and his destructive power. Now, we're going to see this towards the end, um, in the end times, when Jesus comes back. There's going to be a fight on, okay? And he's not going to be coming in with a sheep under his arm. All right? So, when we get to that, you'll see all of that. It's quite spectacular. All right. And so it says here, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, William Hendrickson says that the ancient prophets actually predicted the coming of the offspring of David, the one who would destroy and scatter all his enemies and bring salvation to his people. Again and again, Jesus Christ is pictured as the one who conquers Satan and all his allies, sin, death, the grave, hell, and all the hosts of evil. Amen. Alright, so that's how they see Jesus. And, you know, this is one of the things that we're going to see at a certain point in time that the people are looking to Jesus to be that kind of conquering hero. And they're going to be very displeased, unhappy with, uh, dissatisfied that he just doesn't take up arms and just level Rome. Are you all with me? And, you know, it's just like, it just didn't work for them. Um, so we're going to see that. And we're going to see why people are going to turn away from him when we get to that. Verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. All right? That's the, through the destruction of their enemies. And to remember his holy covenant right, of salvation by grace. The, uh, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Now this is what is found in Genesis 22 verses 17 and 18. Where God said to Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And they will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Alright? So that was the oath which he swore to our, our father Abraham. Are you with me? And that's why Zacharias goes on to say, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Let me just stop there just for a minute. 
There is a reference as well here to the time when Israel was under bondage in Egypt. Remember that? And that they needed to be taken out so that they could worship God. Do you remember? Because that's all God wanted. He just said, I just want them to go worship me. And I want them to get away from this place far enough, a couple of days out, so that they can you know, just pull away from all the distractions and have time with me. All right? This is the reason why we go into a closet and so on and so forth. Some days you just need to shut the world out. Are you all with me? Okay? And so this is, this is also making reference to that time when they didn't have a choice. They didn't have the freedom. And it's like this is going to give us a greater freedom in the future to be able to worship God without any restrictions, without Rome saying you can't do this or whatever, or you know, Egypt saying you can't do that and everything else. So it's always been this, this problem. And so that's why it says to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear. Amen. And this problem exists in the world today as well. There are people that are afraid to serve God because if they know you as a Christian, they will kill you. No ifs, no ands, no buts. You all with me? Okay, so that's a problem that still we're facing today. Even though the power is there now to change it. But we just need to learn how to use it. Luke 1, verse 75. In holiness and righteousness that is belonging to Him and living correctly. Alright? Belonging to Him and living correctly before Him all the days of our life. Alright, now the Full Life Study Bible says, The ultimate aim of our redemption is to be delivered out of the kingdom of Satan. Alright, Acts 26.18 In order to serve God in holiness and righteousness. To this, Hendrickson adds, It is also clear that nothing less than perfection in the sight of God is what should be the aim of God's people. There's a thought. Let me just say this before we move on. This is what is now becoming clear through some of the ministry and, and, and preaching that is coming through. In fact, um, a certain individual by the name of Dr. Caroline Leaf, I don't know if you know who she is or not, she is a neuroscientist, all right? Uh, I think that's the right word. Okay? Um, and she works with the brain. She is a Christian. All her research is based on the fact that God's word is true. She asked certain questions with a few other people way back with the knowledge of what the word of God said. Because natural people believe that, you know, physical is everything. All right? And they said if you had brain damage, then there's no way you can repair that. You just have to learn how to manage it. And that's all her, her discipline would teach them to do. You know, you, you teach them how to manage it. She asked the question, can the mind change the brain? Can something unseen change what is seen? They laughed at her and a few others that, that suggested this. 20 years on, that has now become the standard. They have now realized that there is something unseen that literally changes what's seen. Your mind can literally change your brain. And they have seen the effects of it. They've seen people with holes in their brain and all sorts of things that normally would have been said, don't worry about it, you can't do this. Okay, change that with their mind. Something unseen. Okay, And so from this research and from this understanding, she has come and she has seen that the Bible has said that God made us perfect. That we chose to go our own way. 
Alright? And so we choose to take something that God has done in us that's perfect and make it not perfect. If I could just say that. Okay, as simple as I can. And so the, the thing that you can do through your thinking and through your confession is take yourself back to the place of perfection. Isn't that interesting? So we can actually walk in perfection. And in fact, one of the things that she says is that, you know what? We should insist on walking in perfection based on the fact of what Jesus did. We shouldn't have any excuses. Yeah, but nobody's perfect. She said that is a horrendous statement to make. Okay, yeah. She said when you are born again, you are perfect. And she goes through the science of it and shows and, and literally has proven this, that as you begin to speak and as you begin to say certain things, all the things on the inside of you begin to line up with what you're actually saying. So even if you were a person that your family had hard trouble and all sorts of, I'm sorry I'm preaching for a minute, just let me do this, okay? Uh, even if your family and all your generations have had hard trouble or whatever, do you know that comes zipped up? When it gets to you, your mouth unzips it. And if you don't say anything, if you say, no, I will not be like that, do you know what happens? That thing stays zipped up and it can actually be dissolved. Alright? And so that you can then walk free from something that all the generations before you were known to have. But we call generational curses, alright? But, but this is what the power that you have and the power that God has actually given you. Alright, so this, this perfection that we're looking at here, right, is an actual perfection. This is something that today, science and, and Christian science, okay, and in fact one of the things she says is, look, you know, sadly, people are taking God out of science, but God created science, and so it only makes sense with Him in it. Absolutely. Otherwise it just doesn't make sense. You have to throw things away to, to try and make it, you know, to try and line it up when you're, He's not there. But it makes all the sense when you put Him in it. It's just like everybody goes, oh, of course, okay? But then, you know, people's beliefs and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so, okay, that's the reason why it says here, Hendrickson says, it is also clear that nothing less than perfection in the sight of God is what should be the aim of God's people. That has to be our aim. That has to be the drive inside of us. God, you have made us perfect. And we are going to be perfect. And no matter how many times you fall, get back up. Amen? 1 John 1, 9. If we acknowledge our sin. Yeah, but that was a mistake. That was just, you know, I wasn't good enough. That's still a sin. That was a part of the result of sin. Do you understand? If sin never happened, you'd never have that fault in your life. Do you know what I'm saying? You'd be able to do anything. That's why in Genesis 11, I believe, it's, God comes and says, whatever they imagine to do, they'll do. Remember the Tower of Babel? That's why. <laughs> okay? That's the potential that was there. It has been given back to us. So it's there now. It's back. We just need to wake up to it. And we need to force ourselves back into what was ours. And what the enemy has forcibly kept us out of. Amen? Okay. Alright. Don't get weird on me with that. But I tell you, there's a lot of stuff in there. A lot. Okay. 
Zacharias turns his attention now to his own son and says, And you, child, I'm in verse 76, Luke 176, referring to John, will be called the prophet of the highest. This is what the actual text says. One who proclaims to the people whatever it is that his sender wishes him to proclaim. That's who a prophet is, alright? For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways. Isn't this beautiful what he's saying? I love this. Alright? And specifically, the divine call to conversion and to faith in Jesus as Messiah. Remember when Jesus goes past? He says, tells two of His disciples, that's the one. And they immediately even go. That's the Apostle John, by the way. Alright? He's one of them. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sin. In short, salvation through repentance and forgiveness, not through piling up merits. All right, like religious leaders of the day promoted. And as Leon Morris goes and explain, he would call people to repentance and tell them about the one who could save them. And so Zacharias turns his attention back to Christ and says... Through the tender mercy of our God, literally the merciful heart of our God, meaning that our forgiveness is solely based on God's merciful heart. Okay, So again, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring, referring to the Messiah, from on high has visited us, actually will visit us. That's what the actual verse says. Indicating that the Most High Himself will, in His tender mercy, visit the people in order to help and save them. That was what was so phenomenal about Jesus. They actually saw God in the flesh. And the things that he did. Multiplying food, walking on water, raising people from the dead. It was just, wow, this is God. Amen? Alright. So again, he says here, um, The day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness that is blinded in heart and mind to the, to the genuine or true knowledge of God, and the shadow of death. All right, So to give light to those who sit in darkness, and the shadow of death. A condition of danger, fear, and helplessness. A pining away with no human help in sight. All right, To guide or literally direct our feet into the way of peace. That peace of God that calms our heart and makes us strong to live for God. Amen? It's a lot there, I know. Are you all okay? You're still following me? Okay, thank you. All right. William Hendrickson writes, The real meaning of the words according is this, that Jesus Christ, by His presence, teaching, deeds of mercy and power, would fill the hearts of all His followers with the joy of salvation, stand them on their feet, and lead them into the path and way of peace. Isn't that beautiful? Alright? Now notice all the things. By His presence, His teaching, deeds of mercy, and power. Alright? Sometimes we think, oh no, all we have to do is win an argument. It's a lot more. A lot more needs to happen for people to, for people to be impacted enough and be set free. Do you understand? Amen. And, and that's the reason why you come to Bible college. Okay, this isn't just to learn stuff. Not just so you can be better at arguing somebody or you know, arguing with somebody. It's about learning how to grow in yourself and to walk in things. Learn about what Jesus Christ has paid for with His life for you to walk in so that you can shine. 
Amen. And you can be something that the world looks at and goes, wow, what is that? Okay. Luke then concludes. It's a big chapter, isn't it? Verse 80. Okay. <laughs> you try studying that. <laughs> you, know, you look at it. It's a little disheartening, man. You look at it and go, how many verses? Oh, 80 verses. Okay. Anyway, here we are. We finally get to it. All right. So then Luke then concludes with the closing statement in verse 80 by saying, So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. That's beautiful. I love that. I just love the way he finishes that off. Hendrickson explains, Since his parents were already well advanced in years when he was conceived, the boy probably became an orphan early in life. But both physically and spiritually, his development was very favorable. In fact, he became strong in spirit, filled with excellent mental, moral, and spiritual qualities. That's who John was. And as we look at his life, we will see how these qualities served the Lord and challenged everyone around him. <laughs> okay. Oh, that man, I tell you, he could rub cats the wrong way. All right, so next we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to look at the birth of Christ. So the forerunner has come. Now it is time for the Messiah to come, all right? We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says here, this is kind of the Christmas story. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, or literally promised in marriage to Joseph, before they came together, I've underlined some words there, okay? It's important. Um, that is, to, to live together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So as we've already discussed, betrothal among the Jews cannot and must not be confused with our present day engagement. It was far more serious and binding. Okay? As we've seen, the bridegroom and bride pledged their troth, that's betrothed, that's where the troth comes from, okay? Or faithfulness and loyalty to each other in the presence of witnesses. So this is like a marriage, isn't it? You know, okay? And in a restricted sense, was essentially the marriage. Alright? So this thing, because they do it in front of witnesses, in a restricted sense, and restricted meaning that they can't sleep together still, but in every other sense they were married. If you catch my drift. Okay. Of course, the marriage feast and living together was a matter for a later date. To this, William MacDonald adds that a cloud of suspicion and scandal hung over Mary. In all of human history, there had never been a virgin birth. When people saw an unwed woman who was pregnant, they had only one possible explanation. Okay? So we need to understand this now. That's the reason verse 19 goes on to call Joseph her husband. Okay, see, he wouldn't call her a husband if the commitment to each other wasn't so deep, so strong. Do you understand? So their betrothal meant that literally Joseph was her husband now. Are you all with me? Okay. So that's why again it says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just or righteous man, righteous meaning wanting to do what's right before God, and do right by Mary, and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Right? This, this is a difficult situation. It is obvious that Joseph must have really struggled and even agonized over the proper thing to do. 
under these circumstances. Chuck Swindle writes, I can only imagine how difficult this time was for both of them. Mary must have sounded insane. A virgin conceiving a child without having intercourse. Unbelievable. How ironic that young Mary would be the bearer of the most wonderful secret in the history of mankind and yet suffer the consequences of a sinner. In other words, in Joseph's mind, it was clear that Mary had not been faithful to the vows they took. And Joseph could not see his way clear to take Mary home with him and live with her in the usual marriage relationship. And at the time, as Leon Morris explains, now do you have this one? Yes, oh good. Okay. Divorce, divorce was not uh, uh, no great problem for an Israelite man. He simply had to give the lady a bill of divorce before two witnesses and send her away. Alright, it's, it's a procedure given in Deuteronomy 24.1. But as Hendrickson explains, Joseph faced a dilemma. This is interesting, listen to this. He loved Mary and wanted to have her with him as his wife. Alright? But above all, he was a righteous person. A man of principle. One who, with his whole heart, wanted to live in accordance with the will of God. The God who took so very seriously the breaking of the marriage vow. However, Joseph was also kind-hearted. He did not want to expose Mary to the public disgrace and scorn. So can you see the dilemma he's having? Do you understand what is being said here? So on one hand, he loves her. He wants to take her as his wife. On the other hand, he's a righteous person. And so he doesn't want to, you know, people to sort of say, oh, you are, you're marrying someone that's sleeping around. It's like, what kind of a righteous person are you? Do you know what I'm trying to say? This is a big dilemma for him. Okay. Alright, let's move on. But then Joseph had a supernatural encounter of his own. It goes on to say in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. But while he thought about these things, and it literally, it actually literally says he made up his mind. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Now that's an expression of dignity. Alright, and emphasizing the royal line of Jesus. Do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Here we go again. So now Joseph is given the same instruction that Mary was given about naming the child. For he, and it says, for he will save his people from their sins. The Full Life Study Bible says that sin is the greatest enemy of the human race. Destroying one's soul and life. Let me just stop there for a minute. You know, sometimes we don't understand... When we are witnessing the people and you know, we're sort of saying that you, know, you need to give your life to Christ and turn your back on certain things and turn away from certain things. And you know, they, sort of, they think, oh, you know, you're, you're taking all our fun away from us. Do you know what I'm saying? And so they sort of think, oh, I don't think I want to be a Christian because, you know, your bunch of people are just squares and blah, blah, blah. Who, who's heard that, you know? And, you know, sometimes you think, oh, yeah, I don't really want to do that. And, you know, what you need to understand is this. You need to understand that God is the one that designed all of us. And it is all based on certain principles. Just the way the universe works a certain way. If you go and you push somebody off a cliff, they will fall and they will die if they think is high enough. We need to understand that sin kills people. 
It, the thing is actually against the creation. It is against everything that you're wired for. Are you all with me? And so sometimes, you know, we're, we're sort of hesitant to tell people and get people to turn their back on certain things because we're sort of thinking, well, we don't want to, you know, take fun away from them. But if we need to see it a different way, we need to see that there is fun in Christianity. You need to find the things that actually work for you, that actually make you happy, that actually don't give you a hangover the next day and make you regret what you did the day before. <laughs> you know what I mean? That there is a fun to be had that is so satisfying and so wonderful that you just think, wow, where have I been? Okay? And that things that you thought were good are actually not good for you, man. When you look back, you embarrassed yourself. You did stuff that you, you know, if they caught it on video, boy, I'd be the end of you. And you said stuff that you just totally regret and now you're apologizing for the next six weeks. That's not fun. You're here. And you know, just sometimes people just need to kind of almost get slapped in the face and go, that's not good. The stuff that you think you want to hang on to, that you think you like, is bad for you. And that's the only reason why God is saying, don't do that stuff. He will never stop you from doing something that's good for you. It will always be something that is destructive to you. Amen. And this is what Jesus is going to come and do. He is going to come and save people from things that they will regret sometime in their life. So, it says here, sin is the greatest enemy of the human race, destroying one's soul and life through the atoning death of Jesus and the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. Those who turn to Jesus will be set free from the guilt and slavery of sin. I mean, Matthew 1.22. So, all this was done that it might be fulfilled. All right? Matthew is very interested in the way the ancient prophecies found their fulfillment in Jesus. Remember, he's writing to Jews, basically, Matthew. Okay? And so he's saying, this is the king of the Jews. The whole point of the Gospel of Matthew is to say, you killed your king. <laughs> okay? He was the king. Alright, so he's going to, a lot of his, his writings is going to point back to prophecy over and over again. This was prophesied, here he is. It was said this would happen, there it is. Okay, and so again he says, so All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, and this is from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, which was written over 700 years ago. And what follows is the first of a long list of prophecies to show that Jesus is really the long-expected Messiah, beginning with, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. Now, although we've already looked at the significance of the virgin birth, the Full Life Study Bible makes the valid point that the importance of the virgin birth cannot be overemphasized. In order for our Redeemer to qualify to pay for our sins and bring salvation, He must be in one person, fully human, sinless, and fully divine. Yes, that's hard. Okay, so he needs to be fully human, sinless. See, those two go together. Generally, if you're fully human, you got a problem. Okay, everybody born in the human race is born with sin. So there's one thing. You needed a totally human person that was sinless, which was just unheard of. And here's the other impossible thing. They needed to be fully divine. They needed to be all God. All man without sin and all God. Wow. Alright. The virgin birth satisfies all three of these requirements. The only way he could be born a human being was to be born of a woman. Number one. 
The only way he could be sinless man was to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Boom, number two. The only way he could have been deity was to have God as his father. There it is. Okay, Jesus Christ is therefore revealed to us as the one divine person with two natures. Divine and sinless human. Amen. That's why the virgin birth is so important. Do you all get that? Okay. We're almost out of time here. Um, let me make one more statement and then we'll stop. Um, verse 23. Let me just finish that. And so again it says, Behold a virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Alright? Leon Morris says, the quotation and the translation of the Hebrew name underline the fact that in Jesus, none less than God came right where we are. And at the end of this gospel, there is the promise that Jesus will be with us to the end of the age. God with us indeed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to leave it there because I don't want to go on because there's a lot of stuff in the next section. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.